Hi, I'm Gary, and this is episode 148 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles, and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today, we'll be looking at one of the latest tech initiatives when it comes to destination charging, a containerized, solar-powered charger that can be set up in a car park in a matter of hours. This season of the podcast is sponsored by ZapMap, the free-to-download app that helps EV drivers search, plan, and pay for their charging. Before we start, I wanted to remind anyone who's thinking of becoming a patron that one of the perks, due to our sponsorship with ZapMap, is a ZapMap Premium membership. We send out a nice little code for you that upgrades your app from normal to premium, allowing lots of extra functionality such as additional filters, route planning, and integration with CarPlay and Android Auto. Click on the link in the show notes to become a patron. Our main topic of discussion today is destination charging, in in particular, pop-up destination charging. We've often said on this podcast that destination charging is a secret source when it comes to public charging and EV take-up. As cars spend most of their time stationary, it would make sense that that's when they get charged. Up to now, this has been manifested as charge point operators putting 7 kilowatt or 22 kilowatt charge points in at a number of different places, council car parks, supermarkets, park and rides, etc. These are all excellent additions to the charging network, but what if there was a different way? Now, one company that has a fairly unique solution to this is 3TI, and I'd like to welcome Tim Evans to the podcast. He's the Chief Executive Officer of 3TI. Welcome, Tim. Hello. I usually like to start these discussions by asking whoever I'm talking to, just give me a, a brief introduction. Tell me your path to the EV world. And, you know, what's your background? <laughs> okay, my, my um, very original background many, many years ago was agriculture. When the Berlin Wall came down, I find, found myself with my then German wife moving with my children to East Germany, uh, where I rented quite a large state farm from the German government for 12 years. Um, back in the very early 1990s. And very quickly after that, I got involved, believe it or not, uh, in growing oilseed rape for biodiesel um, in a farmer's co-op. We ended up as a farmer's co-op building a biodiesel factory near Berlin. And the progression into renewables then took me into biogas from cow manure and maize, and then ultimately into solar panels. So I installed my first solar panels 22 years ago. Also, the, the, the point that I always make that this really is not new type technology. It's been around for 20 or 30 years. We just haven't been very good at um, incorporating it, adopting it in the UK. But Germany, you know, as we all know, 20, 30 years ahead of the rest of us in all this thing. And uh, so I had, a, I had a very fortunate position of being in Germany at the time when it was all starting. And uh, I went on after farming, uh, I went off to Austria, did the equivalent of a master's in renewable energy and ended up with my own biogas business in Austria, which was subsequently sold to a German company uh, with whom I moved back to the UK and got involved in wind and biomass, so wood-fired power stations essentially, uh, which is where I met my current business partner, Max Aitkin, uh, about 10 years ago. And I moved finally into solar proper about six years ago and realized, actually, 
how much more straightforward this is than building power stations or milking cows and putting cow muck through a biogas plant. That brings us very nicely onto your key product, which is the Papilio 3, which is, for all intents and purposes, it's a shipping container with solar panels that could be dropped into a workplace car park. Just talk to me about the genesis of the whole container covered with solar situation. Where did that come from? I like your summary. That's precisely what it is. It's a converted shipping container. We as 3TI, and, and just to add, 3TI stands for 3 Technology Infrastructure, and it's the combination of solar batteries and EV charging, those three technologies. And we've been doing that since the company was formed uh, nearly four years ago. We've actually been doing it by building really quite large static solar car parks, which is covering a car park with solar panels. Um, For large solar car parks, the majority of power will go into a nearby off-taker, whether it's a factory or an office, Mm -hmm. shopping centre, that sort of thing. And And that was the main driver of the first part of the business and of course the advent then over the last three four years uh, of of evs and the need to charge evs well where better to charge an ev as you've already said than in a car park so actually dropping ev charge points off the canopy in the car park is the simplest thing to do and we've done large projects Um, we've actually built the two largest team have built the largest uh, projects in the uk 1,500 parking spaces at Bentley, uh, at the car factory in the, in the staff car park, and about 1,000 spaces at JP Morgan in their data centre, at their data centre in Bournemouth. Both of those have a limited, a small number of EV charge points, um, but I would add it's, a, it's an increasing number. But those projects, um, as you can imagine, they're, they're fairly large construction projects, and they're probably costing upwards of anywhere between two and five million pounds. Mm-hmm. So it's very intensive, capital intensive, labor intensive, that it will take anything up to two or even three years to get the planning permissions, to get the grid connection, to deal with all the, the planning and the designs and that sort of thing. The actual build time is relatively short. It, it may be only as much as sort of 20, 24 weeks, six months, something like that. But because that is, is a protracted process, And as a small company with limited cash resources at that point, I was very keen to find a way of speeding that all up. And it actually happened by chance, as all the best things do. Um, It was November 2020, so sort of in the middle of the COVID pandemic. um, We had a, a dispensation to carry on building during that period. So we were actually on site at JP Morgan on a very wet, very grey, damp, cold November afternoon, um, sitting in a converted shipping container, which was the site office, with mud up to our knees, waiting for the rain to stop so that we could carry on with the construction project. <laughs> and and we just, uh, two of us just sat there and scribbled things down. And it, it's always been a, a retirement plan of mine to build an off-grid house out of shipping containers. Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd already had that idea of shipping containers, and when we then started thinking about, well, putting the two things together, solar panels on the roof, the ability to charge the car around the outside of the shipping container, and it's all modular, it gets delivered on the back of a lorry, the solar panels unfold, all the stuff that took huge amounts of time, lots of capital and lots of thought and design, all sort of fell away into this one standardised project, product, um, that at the time we just called the box. That was the sort of 
term that we were all using without any real uh, idea as to what it would finally look like, what it would finally do, or what the economics of the whole thing were going to be. So that was um, pretty almost exactly two years ago, probably because of the COVID period. A lot of us were at home. We weren't perhaps working full out, flat out, but we started playing around with these ideas. Teamed up with Cambridge Design Partners, who helped us with the structural designs and the engineering side of things. We've obviously got our own solar technicians and electricians in-house, and um, we put the, the whole thing together. Um, it was actually finished once it, once we got the designs done and it was being manufactured. Um, it took about eight weeks for it to be built, and it is now, since the end of uh, May, in the uh, car park at the Surrey Research Park at the University of Surrey in Guildford, which is about half an hour from where I'm sitting today. I have one of your postcard type things in front of me here, which has a picture of that uh, very same uh, installation. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that, the, the logistics of that. It's, I mean, obviously you've got the solar power, but I can't imagine it's actually 100% solar powered so is it linked to the mains is the battery attached to it as well it's, it's certainly not 100 percent today not here it's pouring <laughs> with rain <laughs> it's cloudy <laughs> but um during the the very summer sunny and of course we've had a marvelous summer during the months of uh, june july and august it's actually contributed nearly 70 percent of the power that's gone into electric vehicles has come off the roof of that container off the canopy on the container if, if we look at an average over a 12-month period, the design that we're now producing has 42 solar panels on the roof. It's an installed capacity of about uh, 20 kilowatts peak. Mm -hmm. um, that we expect, depending on where it is in the country, it will produce somewhere between 25 and 30% of the total power requirement for a year for the charge points that are in that container. And um, just to explain, uh, you've, you've already mentioned the name Papilio 3. Well, the 3 clearly comes from the three technologies, as in 3TI. Papilio is, of course, the butterfly, because this thing alights and the, it unfolds its wings and it absorbs the heat from the sunshine. So that that's the, uh, the provenance of the name comes from. Mm -hmm. And uh, the one at Guildford, which is, it, it is a prototype, but it has done absolutely everything and a bit more than we thought it would. It's performed better than we thought it would. And it is being used daily by a user group of about 65 people at Surrey Research Park, who by their very nature are all inquisitive, and I use this as a term of endearment, boffins, <laughs> who are very, very inquisitive and very critical thinking and have posed a number of really very useful questions and thoughts and suggestions. Uh, that have allowed us to have some excellent feedback. They, they all belong to a uh, sort of an exclusive WhatsApp group and uh, share all their insights with us. We've had a fabulous testimonials from them, which is, is very flattering. But we're, we're currently charging around about 18, well, the average is probably 18 cars a day, and the average charge is 25 kilowatt hours. And it's people, as you said in your introduction, coming to work in the morning, plugging in at nine o'clock and probably finding that their car is fully charged by lunchtime, moving it and somebody else coming in for the afternoon session. So I'm just thinking if I, if I look at what I'm seeing here on the on the photo that I've got, 
we're looking at, correct me if I'm wrong, it's about a 40-foot container length that you've It is. You've it got. is exactly a 40-foot shipping container, which is obviously a, a standard shape and size. Sits across 14 standard parking spaces. Mm-hmm. So if you think two sets of seven back-to-back, yep. that's the footprint. And out of those 14 spaces, with the white lining that's required for access and, and uh, safety, um, we can make 12 charging spaces, so six on each side, essentially. And so we are able to charge 12 cars simultaneously at 711 or 22 kilowatts. And it is, uh, as we've already said, sub- supplemented by the power coming from the roof, which, as I've said, maybe 25, maybe 30% during the course of a year. The balance comes from the grid, so the existing grid connection, and that's the important thing, is that by installing Papilio with its technology and the battery that we've not yet talked about, um, we are able to boost what might otherwise be a, a pretty limiting uh, grid connection without going back and having it upgraded in order to charge a large number of cars at any one time. So we're saving, first of all, the time involved in upgrading a grid connection, but also the costing involved in the uh, in upgrading it. With with the phase rotation and um, load balancing software that we've put in to combine the three technologies plus the existing grid, uh, that's how we're able to work with relatively poor uh, grid connections, uh, which would otherwise need a fair bit of um, upgrading to be able to charge anything mm-hmm. like that number of cars. So you talked briefly there about the battery. What's, uh, what sort of battery... Do you have what's, what size of battery is there on this particular one that I'm looking at now? So you can see on the left and right ends are two, what you might call a pod. Mm-hmm. One pod has got the inverter and the um, control systems for the EV charging in it. The other side is uh, the battery housing. There is space in there to put in half a megawatt if we need to. Um, but the, the trick in the whole thing is to size the battery according to what the existing grid connection is, mm-hmm. how much we're going to get off the sun, and how many EVs we think we're going to charge. And of course, batteries, as you will know, are, are very modular. So we can start off with a relatively low number with an educated guess, and we might put in 100 or 120 uh, kilowatt hours of battery storage. And then once we've got real-time data from usage, um, we can increase that number, reduce that number, or even take them, take the battery away altogether if necessary. But, of course, what it also allows us to do, and we've said at 68 70% of the power coming off the roof, that's clearly not enough to charge all the cars. But what we can do is load the battery at night from nighttime power, which is, on the one hand, cheaper, um, but on the other hand, also less carbon intensive, most nighttime Grid power tends to come from uh, wind and hydro. So we're able to store overnight low price, low carbon power that we can put out through the EV charge points during the course of the day. What is the uh, chemistry on the batteries? Uh, it's lithium. Uh, lithium ion, yeah? Lith- lithium ion batteries, yes, yes, yes. Presumably, there is some sort of management system around the charging itself because I presume somebody's paying for this at some point. Uh, you know, if if I if I'm a visitor to this location and I plug in, I might get that for free, but somebody's going to have to be charged for the cost of that electricity. Is that is that dealt with by your software? 
So what we, we've not um, we've not talked about our own business model, but uh, very deliberately, we are retaining ownership of Papilio 3 and we are renting it to our customers. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to think of it in terms of a plant hire, it's just like a construction business hiring a JCB to do the digging. We are, we are giving the, our customers the wherewithal to distribute EV charging to their customers, visitors or, or employees. And it's then up to them to decide what they're going to charge their people. They might decide in an employment situation to give it away free as a perk. They might run a, um, a break-even model with subsidised power. Or they might even give the power away free to attract people to um, uh, I don't know the, the swimming pool or the shopping centre or whatever it might be. And all the customer does, our customer, tells us what rate they want to charge at what time of the day. And we then run the back office and the billing system that um, allows us to do that and charge our customers' customers. You mentioned, you know, the swimming pool or whatever. So obviously you've got this in at the uh, the Science Park down in Guildford at the moment. So mm-hmm. I can I can understand why you would have put that in there. You've talked about the WhatsApp group. You're getting good feedback from the people who are using it. But as this rolls out, what is the ideal profile of a location into which you would put one of these? That is, is still something that we are experiencing. We're, we're a, a, a relatively young company, as I said, and we've had Papilio 3 available since May. We have a lot of ideas and thoughts as to where it might go. Mm-hmm. But since the launch at the end of May, I'm now realising that we probably pressed the PR button a little bit too hard because we've had over 200 inquiries from organisations as diverse as a car hire, a multinational car hire business, um, various factories, various local authorities, hospitals, um, we've already said uh, uh, leisure venues, theme parks, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So the the market is is huge, and you could argue you could put one pretty much anywhere. Um, We've even had inquiries from a couple of community groups who said, well, you know, could we put one next to the village hall in the village? and provide community charging? Well, the answer is yes, of course you can. But I think our main focus is going to be on workplace and destination charging, which, as you say, uh, rightly, is where cars are standing for two, three, four, five hours anyway. And our mantra, therefore, is don't stop to charge. In other words, don't pull up in a filling station specifically to charge your car. Don't stop to charge. Charge where you stop. And that is a change of mindset to what all of us have been doing hitherto, which is to drive a petrol or diesel car. When we need some fuel, we stop at the petrol station. That model doesn't actually work. It, it, it is available, but it doesn't work either environmentally, uh, sorry, an environmentally friendly way or a cost-effective way. If we think of some of the larger filling station chains who have put in rapid and ultra-rapid charge points, What they want you to do, because that's what they do with petrol filling stations, they want you to turn up for 20 minutes, go in the supermarket franchise next door and buy an overpriced bottle of water and a packet of crisps and whatever, Mm -hmm. and hang around for 20 minutes before you then drive off having charged your car at 150 or 175 kilowatts. That is Uh, trying to replicate the model that's already there in terms of petrol filling station. And it's quite understandable 
because they have that network already in place. That real estate is already there and they've got to bring it up to, uh, to, to fit the new reality. However, bringing any number, any significant number of charge points at that level, so rapid and ultra rapid charge points, bringing anything of any number to a specific site is very costly in terms of infrastructure. And that is then reflected in the price that they have to charge for the electricity. And you'll be aware, I'm sure, that many of the larger providers have now, this last month or so, put their prices up to anything between 60p a kilowatt hour and and the worst I've heard is £1.20 a kilowatt hour. Hmm. And that is being driven by the fact that they have to cover those high installation costs. Yes, it's definitely something to to bear in mind. And and as I said at the introduction of this, destination charging, charging where you're parking rather than parking where you're charging is... No, it's the other way around. Parking where you're charging rather than charging where you're parking. <laughs> Thank you. Got that the right it's, it's way around. It's that way around. Yeah. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Now, what, one of the use cases that sort of came into my mind, because I, I, am I right in thinking that under ideal circumstances, this is actually a really quick install? We're talking like a morning. You can come in early in the morning, have one of these up and running by lunchtime. Uh, yes. What, I mean, what I can say on that, it is, is, it is about as instant as it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, the one at Guildford took seven hours from the minute the lorry arrived to the minute we plugged the first car in, and that included painting the white lines. <laughs> so it, it really is a, a quick fix. Uh, it's pretty instant. Yeah. We, we haven't fully negotiated the, um, uh, what's the word, the um, maze that is the planning system or the DNO systems. Yeah. Uh, essentially, it's a temporary structure. It doesn't need planning permission. And in fact, the one at uh, at Guildford, we applied retrospectively for planning because, again, we're learning how do the local authorities react to this thing. And the advice we are given is to apply for a number over the course of the next six months and get the feedback across the country because, of course, every authority is very slightly different in their requirements. But to all intents and purposes, it's a temporary structure and doesn't need planning permission. Now, I was immediately struck that there could be one potential use case for this. uh, And I want to put it to you just to to get your reaction. Um, Obviously, you will be aware of the fully charged show and the live events that they put on uh, in Farnborough. I was also at an event a couple of weeks ago for um, Senex, which is they held that at uh, at Millbrook at the Proving Ground there. Again, you've got situations there where you've got a lot of people with electric vehicles coming and parking up for, you know, a day at a time, three days at a time, however long the 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 event is, and also with something like fully charged, you've also got the vehicles that have been done for test drives, so they're constantly running throughout the day and being charged overnight. Something like a, a Papilio three unit or a couple of those brought in on the day before, installed, kept there for two or three days, and taken away would seem to be an ideal use case for this. What are you, what are your thoughts on that? It, absolutely, it works. The economics, however, uh, of course, transporting and setting down a Papilio 3 is at least a £1,000. Mm. Picking it up and taking it away for the hire of the lorry is, is a similar sort of price. So to actually spread that £2,000 over two or three days um, rather kills the economics unless you're then being very cheeky and charging people a pound a, a kilowatt hour for the electricity then yes, of course it would work. But the the whole point really of destination charging is that it provides a 
a, a long-term non-permanent solution, if you like. Yeah. And that allows, because the electricity is being subsidised, A, from the solar, and B, from cheap rate electricity at night, it does allow us to supply electricity to, to the vehicles at significantly less than a, uh, a normal rapid or um, ultra-rapid charge point. So, I, again, I don't know what our own customers are going to want to charge their customers for power, but I could well imagine that we will be in the 20 to 30p bracket as opposed to the 60p to £1 bracket. And that's always going to be very enticing to someone who's needing to charge their car, you know. I could go to the nearby Instavolt and pay 60 pence, or I could go and, and use the Papilio 3 and pay substantially less. So I think that's absolutely the right way to go for it. And, and there is there is a need in the market and a, and a case in the market for all forms of charging, from trickle charging out of your bathroom window with a granny cable mm-hmm. right through to having a 350 kilowatt <laughs> um, ultra rapid charger and, and everything in between. What we are promoting is something that's quick, uh, it's rented, so there's no capital expenditure. It's about as, uh, the, the electricity is about as low carbon as we can get it. And that allows us to charge, if you like, at leisure, which is uh, lower in carbon, kinder on the battery, and and can therefore be significantly cheaper. Let's talk future rollouts. You mentioned a, a few moments ago that you've had interest from, I think you said a couple of hundred different people. Uh, are you prioritising specific locations what's where where do you go from here in terms of getting these out to the public Uh, that's a very good question um what we've done as you know is one first of all the prototype at surrey university Mm -hmm. model number two has been built and uh, has passed all its tests last week that is going to a very high profile location that i can't disclose at the moment but rest assured we'll make a lot of noise about it when it does and that will happen in the next six weeks or so Mm -hmm. There is then a a commercial market testing exercise that we are uh, embarking on, which will involve seven units, and I'll explain why seven units in a minute. But we are looking to put one in each of the six uh, DNO areas. I don't know if all your listeners are familiar with the acronym. Uh, DNO is the the grid operator, the district network uh, operator. And the country is divided up into six regions, they, like the planning authorities, all have very slightly different protocols, slightly different requirements. So we're keen to put one in each area so that we understand what those nuances are. And um, out of the, the 200 or so inquiries, we have picked what we consider to be the best half dozen or so in terms of A, location, but B, the profile of the counterparty. So uh, large multinationals are obviously more attractive than um the local village hall in the village in Gloucestershire mm-hmm. um, for those first seven. And that will be a commercial trial that we then run through until the end of the year with a proper commercial rollout based on the experience of that commercial trial starting from uh, January onwards. That all sounds really interesting. That's uh, something to look forward to. Uh, can I sort of bring the discussion back to something that you talked about when, when you were describing the implementation in Surrey. You said that there are a certain number of uh, parking spaces which have been allocated and designated to a a smaller number of actual charging uh, spots. And that brings me around to 
an organization called ChargeSafe, who I know you've been in discussions Mm -hmm. with, Kate Tyrrell and her team. Obviously, they're looking at accessibility, they're looking at safety for charges all around the country. How can you incorporate some of the suggestions and feedback that ChargeSafe will provide into what is essentially a fixed format box slash structure? Um, and can I start? Can I start answering that question by saying that I think the charge face space, sorry, charge safe initiative, is an extremely good one. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've met Kate and talked to her, she's a larger than life character. She's been on the podcast, energy. absolutely. Yep. Yep. Ah, <laughs> well, she's absolutely fabulous, and she's been out to uh, Guildford two or three times. As you rightly say, she's done. We might have been one of the very first people that she actually surveyed. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a 70-point checklist, as you all know, yeah. based on everything from lighting to CCT cameras to accessibility. And uh, she she went through our first Papilio, and we ended up with a score of 4.09 out of 5, good. which we thought was quite a good start. Mm-hmm. Um, the main weaknesses were actually to do with accessibility, simply because we had got the height wrong on the charge points. They were slightly too high. And so these new versions that we are producing have picked up all Kate's uh, recommendations. I'd, I'd be nice to think that we'd come out with a five out of five next time, but I'm, I'm sure we won't for whatever reason. But the, you know, the other points that, that do work uh, that Kate was particularly interested in was the fact that every box comes standard with LED lighting under the canopy and a CCTV camera on each corner. So as far as, and, and this is not something I think, and, and, and this is actually a, a man's thing, I dare I say. Um, I don't think we think about how frightening it is to charge a car in the dark around the back of an alley stuck behind the local supermarket. Mm. Um, it probably never crossed my mind, but it is actually very obvious. And if you think about somebody sitting there um, actually holding a thousand pound mobile phone in their hand whilst they scrabble for an app in the dark. Um, it, it, it's a very, it can be a very daunting experience, I'm sure. And I think that, that uh, um, Kate's initiative comes from that. And um, we, we support it wholeheartedly. We were one of the very first companies to sign up with Kate and, and work together with her on devising this um, scoring system and, and checklist. Um, and I, uh, I'm sure that she will go from strength to strength. I certainly hope so. As you say, it's, a, it's an excellent initiative, um, and she spoke very eloquently about it when she came on the podcast. Uh, Tim, that's all the questions I've got for you at the moment, so um, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. A couple of things to mention following that discussion. I went to the Surrey Research Park and used the Papilio 3 there. This goes very well with ChargeSafe, having both built-in CCTV and LED lighting not to mention the canopies. Plus, it's really well designed in terms of the structure and the layout. And the fact that you could put one of these in within a day bodes very, very well. Secondly, just for context, the 40-foot shipping containers that they use are designed to be weight maximized for transport. Each one weighs eight tons. The majority of this weight is also used as ballast to ensure they don't move during high winds, which is especially important with the solar panels open, as they can act a little like sails. I did find out from Tim who customer number two is. I promise not to tell before it becomes public, but I was impressed. It'll be something of a PR coup when it happens. One thing that didn't come out of the conversations, but which, if you think about it, makes a lot of sense, is the fact that with battery storage on site, 
These units are not too dissimilar to the FreeWire units that BP Pulse have been testing for quite a while. They use a low power grid feed and trickle charge batteries throughout the day, but use the power from the batteries to charge at rapid or ultra rapid charge speeds. The Papilio 3 units can do exactly the same with the right configuration. This means you could, in theory, have a bank of 7 or 11 kilowatt chargers and one or more 50 or 75 or even higher kilowatt chargers attached at the end. Useful for workers who are staying all day and for visitors who might be there for a one hour meeting and want to rapid charge while they meet. I'll keep you up to date with announcements from Papilio as it's uh, an interesting, quickly implemented solution that I think can solve a lot of problems for many workplaces. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with your listeners. Transparent solar panels could replace windows in the future. Ranging from the screen of your phone to skyscrapers, it's estimated that there are five to seven billion square meters of glass surfaces in the United States alone. Imagine the sheer amounts of electricity that could be generated if we could tap into that power. Conventional solar panels necessitate a wide set of areas as well as significant initial cost. Because of these constraints, it's difficult to implement them in metropolitan locations. Transparent solar panels, on the other hand, can be implemented in these areas, paving the way for net zero energy buildings and help cities meet climate goals and targets. Transparent solar is a cutting edge technology that gathers and uses light energy through windows or any glass surface, regardless of the angle. It has the potential to be a game changer in terms of broadening the scope of solar. They're made to absorb specific ultraviolet and infrared light wavelengths that aren't visible to the naked eye and transform them into energy capable of powering electronics. I'd love to see something like this implemented everywhere. The EV Musings podcast is sponsored by ZapMap. ZapMap is the go-to app for EV drivers in the UK. Use it to search for available chargers, plan electric journeys, pay for charging or participating networks, and share updates with other EV drivers. ZapMap is free to download and use with subscription plans for enhanced features such as using ZapMap in car, on CarPlay or Android Auto. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, I can be emailed at evmusing at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at MusingTV. If you want to support the podcast and newsletter, please consider contributing to becoming an EV Musings patron. The link's in the show notes. Don't want to sign up for something on a monthly basis? If you enjoyed this episode, why not buy me a coffee? Go to coffee.com slash evmusings, that's ko-fi.com slash evmusings, and you can do just that. Takes Apple Pay too. I have a couple of ebooks out there if you want to read something on your Kindle. So, you've got Electric, is available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. So, you've gone renewable. Is also available on Amazon for the same 99 pence and it covers installing solar panels, a storage battery and a heat pump. Why not check them both out? Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review, preferably five stars, as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. If you've reached this part of the podcast and are still listening, thank you. Why not let me know you got to this point by tweeting me at Musings TV with the words, it means butterfly, of course. Hashtag, if you know, you know. Nothing else. Thanks, as always, to my co-founder, Simon. You know he's a big fan of graphics and art and always likes to have some great-looking pieces on the wall of his office. Recently, he's been looking at getting some custom-made 3D designs for the lock screen on his PC and phone. All-electric unicycle theme. But it wasn't always like that, you know. 
his original screen was something much different. Okay, my, my um, very original background many, many years ago was agriculture. Thanks for listening. Bye.